Matthew 25. Uh, it's on page 831 of your church Bibles. Matthew 25, we're finishing up uh, this morning what's, what's referred to as the, the Olivet Discourse to, to set the scene for us uh, once again. Uh, Jesus has, has had... Uh, it seems like a long time ago now because we're going uh, through the, this discourse quite slowly. But uh, weeks ago we heard uh, Christ have uh, a, a conversation with the, the leaders of the temple, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, and he, he essentially shuts them up. They, they have nothing more they can really say to him. Uh, and so as he's, he's leaving the temple... Uh, his, his disciples are, are looking at the temple and going, isn't this uh, a magnificent building? Uh, and Jesus' response to that is, not, not one stone will, will remain uh, on top of another. The, the whole building will, uh, will be destroyed. And the disciples couldn't believe that, could they? So they, they, ask, they come to Jesus and they ask him, uh, when, are, when are these things going to happen? Uh, and what's going to be the sign uh, of the end of the age? Uh, and so Jesus has been uh, answering that question. And so the, the scene is he's, he's uh, on the Mount of Olives uh, with his closest followers, his, his 12 disciples. Uh, and he's answering that question. We've, we've heard the last couple of weeks uh, parables uh, that he, he uses to explain what the, the coming of the kingdom will be like. Uh, this morning we hear really his, his last, uh, his closing remarks really uh, as he conf- concludes uh this teaching with his his disciples. So let's hear now God's word from Matthew 25, uh, beginning in verse 31, and I'll read through to the end of the chapter. And this is God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, When I was in the the U.S. last year visiting a a church that supports us, uh, I had lunch with a man who who is, is a potter. Uh, he, he makes lovely, uh, beautiful uh, pieces of pottery. One of them is sitting on, on our table this morning, this, this uh, cup. 
that you see before you. Uh, and he, he took me out after, after lunch to, to see his workshop, to, to see where he, he creates all these wonderful things. And uh, he, he showed me this, this brilliant room where he has all of his, his pieces that are completed and, and ready to go to the, the various places where he'll sell them. Uh, but then he, he took me out to see the kiln uh, where he, he fires all the pieces. Uh, and it's quite a large kiln. He can, he can fit a lot in it. And out in this room where the, the kiln uh, sits... There were, there were two piles of, of pottery. One was, was neatly laid out, uh, ready to move into the room where, where he would then, uh, then take it to sell. But then the, the other set was, was kind of tucked away in, in a corner. And I asked, what are, what are these, two, these two piles? And he said, well, one is uh, you know, clearly the stuff I'm, I'm going to sell. Uh, it's the good set. Uh, but then the, the stuff in the corner is, is the stuff that's flawed. It's the stuff that I'm going to eventually just have to break up or, or, or get rid of somehow. It's, it's, not, it's not good enough. It's not fit to be sold. Now, when I looked at those two piles, I couldn't tell them apart. They all looked great. I, the, the, the pile of stuff in the corner was, was beautiful. Uh, it looked incredible. But the artist had an expert eye. And he, he could detect small discolorations. He could find the, the little cracks that, that formed under, under the intense heat of the kiln, things that, that I could easily miss. He, he knew all about. Sorting is, is actually a key theme of our passage this morning, isn't it? You know, kind of how the, the potter has to carefully look through and sort uh, every piece of pottery he makes. Jesus says here that he's, when he returns, he's, he's going to sort all of us. Every single person who's ever lived is, is going to get sorted into, into two groups. I almost used Harry Potter and the sorting hat as the illustration, but that's, that's meant to be more fun. This, this is quite troubling, isn't it? This is, this is concerning. We, we find this, this really scary, don't we? Because you and I might look around and go, I, I can't tell the difference between one person and another. I can't tell the difference between the good and the bad, the, the flawed and the perfect. I mean, there's, there's obvious examples, aren't there? People like, like the Nazis. But outside of that, we go, well, aren't, aren't people generally pretty nice? You know, aren't, aren't people kind? How do, we, how do we tell the difference between, between the good and the bad? Well, for one thing, we're, we're not necessarily meant to. Which is why we need the expert eye of a, of a holy and righteous God who made us to judge us. As we come to the end of the Olivet Discourse, it feels like we, we've had three weeks of, of pretty sobering passages. But now we come to, to perhaps the most sobering, perhaps in, in uh, all of Scripture even. Jesus has, has warned us uh, to be ready and to watch. And he's warned us to be ready and to work, to prepare for his return. But this morning he, he explains to us exactly why he gave these warnings. Because he will come to judge. And it's really important that we recognize that our, our passage this morning is, is not a parable. It's not what we've looked at the last couple of weeks. There's, there's one illustrative picture in it. But we're, we're actually intended to take every word Jesus says here literally and seriously. And for that reason, it's, it's a particularly soul-searching passage. And so we should approach it humbly and soberly. And so there's going to be three things we're going to see this morning from it. First of all, we're going to see the one who will judge is Christ. Secondly, we'll see that every, every one of us will be judged. 
And third, we'll see the eternal consequences of our short lives. So first, let's see that, that the one who, judge, who, who will judge is Christ himself. Jesus says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him he'll, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Now, you, most of you probably realize that, that when Jesus uh, uses the title Son of Man, he's, he's referring to himself. He's, he's talking about himself. He's saying to us that, that this is what's going to happen when, when he comes again. The very Jesus who, who is speaking these words to his disciples the very Jesus who, who they'll see crucified in a few days' time. The very Jesus who they'll see rise again three days after that. And who they'll see ascend into heaven. He says he's going to come back. And when he comes, he's going to judge. That's quite a shocking claim, isn't it? Uh, the commentator Matthew Henry says that, that Jesus' first coming was, was under a cloud of obscurity. His second will be in a bright cloud of glory. That's quite a thing. The child born in a stable who was, who was laid in a manger is going to come again in, in, in power and in glory with all the, the authority of, of God and he'll sit on a throne of judgment. A few weeks back we saw the coronation of King Charles. Uh, he, was, he was given all this incredible regalia and there was all this pageantry and ceremony. And then he was seated on an ancient throne. Beneath him was the, the what do they call it? The, the, the rock of, of, of the, what's that? the stone of, of destiny. That's right. From, all the way from Scotland. And they put a crown on his head. And this was all intended to, to symbolize his, his power and his authority. His right to rule and to reign over us. What was the reaction to that? And lots of people thought uh, it was brilliant. You know, it was fun to watch. It was interesting, but it was also really weird. A lot of people went, "That was that was just weird. That was strange." You know, especially in a modern and progressive Britain, where where fewer and fewer people respect uh, the picture of this this picture of authority in a world of of individual identity and authority. This claim of Jesus is, is equally awkward, isn't it? It's equally odd to us that he will return in power and glory and with absolute authority. Jesus, Jesus uh, after his resurrection, will, uh, in just a few chapters' time, explain to his disciples that, that all the authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And we, we hear that first here, don't we? He tells us what he's going to do when he returns. How do, how do you react to that? How do you react to the idea that, that Jesus is going to come and, and he's going to judge you? Do you think, do you think that's odd? Do you, find that, do you think that's impossible? Do you believe yourself to be the, the master of your own fate? That no one has the, the right to judge you? Again, what Christ is teaching here is, is actually meant to be taken literally. So we should consider this very carefully because Jesus is not, he's not like an earthly judge. You know, in our, our, the flat we're about to move to, you know, many of you know we're, we're renovating a, a flat. We're going to move in July. Uh, a few weeks ago, we met some of our neighbors, and one of them is, is a judge, and he sits in the crown court. And if I get called into that court, if I, if I get accused of something, and I turn up to court, 
and, and that man is sitting there, what's he have to do? He has to recuse himself from the case. He can't judge me because he knows me. See, he, it, it, that, that's how it works in the courts, isn't it? In order for, for justice to be fair, it, it has to be blind. So if, if this judge happens to like me, then, then he might rule in my favor. If he, if he happens to dislike me, he might rule against me. The, but Jesus isn't, isn't like that. Jesus is the, the righteous and holy judge. What that means is that his justice is not blind. He, he approaches it with eyes wide open. He says that he knows everyone. And in fact, everyone knows him. And that's, that's, that's a game changer when it comes to justice. Consider very carefully what, what your relationship to Christ is. If I were to, to if he were to, to show up all of a sudden today, would you be happy about that? Would you would you have a clear conscience? Would you go to him happily and openly? Are you are you looking forward to his return? Do you know he's going to rule in your favor because he's a righteous and just judge? Or do you fear that he, he might rule against you because he's a righteous judge? And just judge. How do you relate to Christ? Are there things in your life that you'd rather he not know about? And maybe you've made jokes at, at Christ's expense. Perhaps you've rejected him as the true God. Perhaps you've, you've put him on the same level as other, other uh, wise teachers. If Christ were to come back as he says he will here. Do you want to do you want to go to him carrying your 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 copy of, of uh, some some great philosopher? Do you want him to, to interrupt your your meditation sessions or your breathing exercises? Do you want him to see whatever it is you're you're looking at online? You see, Jesus is not an earthly judge. And how you and I relate to him, and how you and I know him matters. When you stop and think about the, the context that Jesus is speaking into, he's, he's on the Mount of Olives again with his, with his disciples, these men who have a, a personal relationship to him. They have this relationship with the King of all kings. And Jesus, Jesus says to us that, that you can have that too. In fact, there's no greater security than being found in him, than, than knowing the judge. That's the glory of the gospel amidst the sovereign reality of judgment, that if you know the judge already, then you have nothing to fear. Now the second thing we should we should take to heart this morning is that, that every one of us will be judged. And, and this is the sobering fact that Jesus presents to us, isn't it? It's underlined by the way he, he gets on with the task right away, doesn't he? He says when, when, when he comes again, he's going to gather the nations to himself. And he's simply going to get started with the sorting it's going to be like a shepherd sorting the sheep from the goats. This, the, the thing is, he, he already knows which are the sheep and which are the goats, doesn't he? He's the sovereign king. He, he knows everything, and particularly he knows his sheep. The, the separation of these two is, is an, an ominous sign, isn't it? And it rubs up against our idolatry. We don't like what it has to say to us. We don't like to think that we're going to be judged and some will be treated differently than others. We want to think that, 
that if we, we try our best, if we're really sincere, if we, if we try to be kind to others, if we believe nice thoughts and, and say nice things like we're, we're all God's children and God is love, then surely you know, everyone's going to be acceptable to God, aren't they? But she, Jesus says that's not the case. That he's going to sort us and he's going to separate us into to two groups and, and this won't be at random. Jesus says he will be judged. We says we will be judged based on the evidence, doesn't he? Uh, again, Matthew Henry is, is really good on this passage. He says it, it is not said that, that he will put the rich on his right hand and the poor on his left, the learned and the noble on his right hand and the, the unlearned and despised on his left, but the godly on his right hand and the wicked on his left. All other divisions and subdivisions among human beings will then be abolished, but the great distinction will remain forever. And all persons' eternal eternal state will be determined by it. How is Jesus going to judge? He's He's going to judge based on the evidence. He's going to judge according to to true righteousness and true judge justice. He's going to judge not not the way that you and I think we should be judged. He's going to judge us based on 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 his own criteria. To the final judgment's ultimately about whether or not we're godly, and to be godly, we have to be found in Him. To put our trust in Him by faith. That's actually the, the evidence of our obedience to him. Jesus says your, your internal faith will be, will be evident for everyone to see, doesn't he? He will be able to, to point to it at his return. That's what we see, don't we? Our true character will be revealed at the final judgment, and, our, and we will be judged based on the evidence. What we, what we see here is, is judgment by the law, don't we? The, the question that Jesus wants us to ask is, have we loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And have we loved our neighbor as ourselves? The, the, love, the love of God here is implied in the identi- his identity with the sheep. The sheep are the ones who, who were close to the shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as the, the shepherd of the sheep, doesn't he, at times? They're his. They belong to him. If you belong to Christ, then he, he can look at your life and, and he can, can see the evidence of that and how you've loved your neighbor. I think we need to, to understand here that Jesus is not, uh, as he, he's talking about this, this how we've treated others, how we've cared for the least of these, he's not giving us an exhaustive list of, of the evidence of, of what it looks like to love our neighbors. But he's, he's taking this, this, this one piece of it and he's, he's giving us an example. He's illustrating to us how, how the true love of God and our, works itself out in our lives through our love of our neighbor. When he's talking about, uh, or, or when he, he, he refers to our, our caring for the, the least of these, he's, he's talking about us caring for those in need, isn't he? You know, often, the, the partic- in, in particularly those in the church, within the church, we're, we're meant to hold all things in common, aren't we? To, to care for the needs of one another. But he's also talking about anyone that we see in need. He's talking about the, the way that we, we care for, for the people we come across each and every day. You remember when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And his response was the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan was the, 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 
the enemy of an injured man that he finds beaten on the road and near death. But rather than passing him by, he cares for him. And the question that, that we should be asking ourselves is, can, can you see the love of Christ displayed in how you live and care for those around you? And perhaps more importantly, can Christ see your love for him displayed in how you live and care for those around you? This isn't the only evidence, is it, of a godly life. But Jesus says it's, it's an important evidence. Notice how closely he identifies himself with, with the least of these. If you've done anything for the least of these, then you've done it to him. That's very serious. Can people see the gospel character in your life? Can they, they, see, can they see it in how you treat others? Can they see it in your, your business dealings, in the, the way you handle, uh, handle your, 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 your work life? Can they see it in how you, how you handle disputes and arguments? Can they see it in how you care for, for others, particularly uh, those less powerful than yourself? those who are in need. And again, most importantly, can Christ see it? That's the watershed question, really. How, how are the things I'm doing and the way I live reflecting my love for Christ my Savior? And if that answer draws a blank, then you should carefully consider your relationship to him. The evidence has been given, but, but notice, notice the reaction of these two people and these two groups. Did you recognize that? Did you notice how both are are actually confused by by the evidence that Jesus presents, by the things that he says? The righteous look at the evidence and they go, wait, when did we we do all these good works? When did we ever come close to doing enough to to deserve the favor of of the king? Jesus says whatever they did, they did to him because, because they lived for him. They were, they were found in him as his people. On the other hand, the, the wicked say, when, when did we ever fail to do good? You know, perhaps they, they did loads of charity work. Perhaps they volunteered all their time and they always brought a meal or, or gave a coin to, to the beggar in the street. But Jesus says, if you've, if you've ever failed to do good to just one, then you fail to do good to him. See, he exposes the hearts of us all, doesn't he? This is why this isn't simply legalism. This isn't simply Jesus saying, okay, go out and, and try and do lots of good and try and do enough good. The person who hears that is, is really in the second category here. When did I ever fail to, to do enough for you? Jesus says, if you fail once, then then. You've, you've failed every time. But for the, the ones who are found in him, if you've, if, you've, uh, if you've ever just done one simple thing, then actually it's, it's been done for his glory and for good. We can't do any good in ourselves apart from him. See, Jesus exposes our hearts. You know, on the one hand, the, the righteous realize they, they could never do enough good to be made right. But Jesus counts anything good as being done to him. On the other hand, the, the unrighteous, the wicked, think they've surely done enough. You know, I'm a good person. I've tried to do good to others. But any failure on their part or any act of cruelty 
is an affront to the king because they didn't do it for him. And the reason why we need to consider the evidence of, of this very carefully, the evidence of our lives, is because of what we see in our, our third and, and final point this morning. We see the eternal consequences of our short lives. What does Jesus say will be the result or the, the consequences of the final judgment? Look at verse 46. It's very short and it's very to the point. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And the word to emphasize there, the word to, that, that if you miss every other word, pick up this one. It's eternal. It's that which will have no end. Each and, and every one of us who is judged will en- then enter into an unchangeable state, one that cannot be undone once entered into. If one is sentenced to eternal punishment, that, that that's permanent. It can't be undone. This is this is possibly the most again the most sobering passage in all of Scripture. This is actually more serious even than than the Old Testament prophets declaring temporal judgment on God's people who were then taken off into exile. Because this is this is Christ talking, the great and final prophet. And he's declaring the coming eternal judgment of every, every individual who ever lived. It's, it's final. It's permanent. Listen to how Jesus describes the punishment of the wicked. He, he says, listen to what he says to him in verse 41. He says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He's going to treat those who, who've rejected him the same as, as the devil and his angels who've rejected him. There's a, a place of eternal punishment that's prepared for, for all the wicked. Every single one of us needs to consider that carefully only. We cannot say that Jesus doesn't judge anyone because Jesus himself says he will. We cannot say that Jesus accepts everyone just as they are because Jesus himself says that he won't. We cannot escape the ramifications of this passage any more than we can escape the day of judgment. So if you're in Christ, then actually you should, you should be struck by the eternal nature of the, the punishment that Jesus promises. We should be struck by the fact that the, the people that we see each and every day, the people that you, you sit next to on the tube, the person who annoys you at work, the person you can't stand at school, every single one of them has an eternal destination. And when the days of our short lives come to an end, we're all going to go to one of two places. If you're if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, we shouldn't we shouldn't treat eternal punishment lightly. We shouldn't decide that it's best to just say nothing rather than to warn others. We shouldn't decide that it's better just to, to seek our own comfort. Uh, in these short days by fearing offending other people with this idea of judgment. Jesus actually calls us to love our neighbors enough to tell them that there's a judgment, that there's an eternal punishment to come, but that there's, there's good news, that Jesus has taken the full wrath and punishment for those who trust in him.
And any one of us can freely enjoy and take of that through faith in him. Then we see the beauty of the other side of the judgment, don't we? If one is sent into eternal life, then the wonder of that, the joy of that is that that cannot be undone or taken away either. Verse 34, Jesus says, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus says that eternal life is, in fact, eternal in every sense of the word. It, it doesn't begin at his return. Rather, it's so secure that, that there's history and precedent for it. That it was established from eternity before the foundation of the world. And it will carry on until forever. The application of all this for us this morning is, is really rather simple, I think. It's a call to draw near to Christ while you still can. It's a call for us not to be found outside of him on the last day. To not be stubborn as a goat, but to be, to, to be, uh, to, to be near the shepherd as a sheep. To, to sometimes be, be stupid, certainly. Sheep aren't the most intelligent animals. But to, 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 to be obedient to the shepherd when he lovingly disciplines us, to draw near to him, because he's graciously and he's lovingly revealed to us the fullness of his character. He's not kept hidden from us the mysteries of what will be. That the one who came once in, in poverty and humility will come again in power and glory and with all authority. And so draw near to him. Because it's in his grace and mercy alone that we can hear these, these sweet words on the day of judgment. Come you, young, come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let us pray.